To be honest, I'm astonished to stand here before you today. Thank you, Whitney, for inviting me. It's a privilege to be part of St. Stephen's. As you already know, Meredith and I will be moving to California next month. So this is my chance to say thanks. It's good to be here with you now. It's been good to be here with you for many, many years. Before Meredith and I bid you adieu, Whitney has offered me this chance to speak. Hear this, I'm grateful. It's entirely improbable that I stand before you today. Let me tell you how I got here. Being Episcopalian started out in my family as a cover story. My father was born in Hamburg, Germany as a Jew. Starting in late 1938, he was locked up in a Gestapo prison. Like so many Jews from that time and that place, Dad buried his past and refused to acknowledge it to his death. German privacy laws have prevented me from determining the exact charges, but I've verified that he was incarcerated for nine months. I've heard that he was starved and tortured. According to my Uncle Paul, Dad told him that the leading cause of death there was suicide. My father was a survivor, big time. He was freed, God knows how, and given a one-way ticket to France. Years later, he appears in America, training as a counter-espionage agent for the OSS, the wartime version of the CIA. He soon acquired a new name, Herbert Sherman, and thereafter presented himself as French and vaguely Christian. He had an obvious German accent and pretty much never went to church, but he stuck to his story, and until we were in our early teens, my sister and I believed it. My mother, raised as a Presbyterian in South Carolina, signed my sister and me up at St. Mark's Church in New Canaan. I liked it fine until my dog died. And the woman who was teaching Sunday school told me that dogs can't go to heaven. This provoked a severe crisis of faith. I was maybe nine years old. I kept showing up every Sunday, but the Episcopal Church was dead to me. We moved to Fairfield just in time for mom to enroll me in confirmation class at Trinity Church in Southport. I was a sullen student. One day I told the minister teaching the class that I didn't believe any of that stuff. Virgin birth, the resurrection, pretty much the whole Nicene Creed. He said that was no problem. He more or less told me, keep your mouth shut and you'll be confirmed. So I kept my mouth shut and I was confirmed. Strike two for the Episcopal Church. Years passed. Somehow I found my way toward God. It started out during the early 70s when I was in college. Years later, much to my surprise, 
I began to study with a guru from India. What had begun as a search gradually became a discipline of practice. I learned to meditate. And I had both the interest and the good fortune to worship in holy places all over the world. The shrine of the Virgin of Guadalupe in Mexico City and that of the Black Virgin in Montserrat, Spain. The tomb of the 13th century Sufi saint Nizamuddin in New Delhi. The royal temple in Bangkok housing the Emerald Buddha and so on. In Jerusalem, I worshiped in the major Jewish, Christian, and Muslim sites. I'll worship anywhere. One day in Burma, hours before dawn, I joined a group of men meditating in a low, cramped space entirely lined with mirrors inside the Shui Chi Min Temple in Mandalay. I swear to you, I heard 10,000 voices chanting Om. It was with this sincere but eclectic spirituality that I attended my first Episcopal service in decades at St. John's in Washington, Connecticut in 1991. Presiding was my brother-in-law, who in a midlife career change had just graduated from Divinity School at Yale. The service was the usual, much as I'd remembered it. And then we took communion. I experienced it, much the way I'd experienced that mirrored space in Mandalay. I felt the presence of God. I felt grace and grateful. That's when I started showing up for services at St. Stephen's. My kids already were active here, but now there was something for me. I couldn't believe that this sacrament was available right here on Main Street. To be honest, I'm still amazed. And it's not only here, of course, not only in the Episcopal Eucharist, the experience of communion with God seems to be hidden in plain sight everywhere, available to all, or so I've come to believe. Still, right here on Main Street, every Sunday, the sacrament that offers a direct experience of communion with God and with our fellow parishioners, all sure as the sun rises in the east, Pretty great. I became not quite a regular at Sunday services, but a reliable irregular. My father had nightmares every night. When I was a little kid, I'd be jolted out of sleep by his cries from the room next door. No! It was scary, to tell the truth. If you woke my father from sleep by touching him, he'd karate chop you before he even opened his eyes. We'd probably call it PTSD today, but then it was just life. 
No therapy, no nothing. That was just my daddy. It's amazing what kids absorb from their parents. I'm not talking about what parents intentionally teach. I'm talking about what a parent, any parent, unconsciously and consistently radiates in the presence of their kids. When you're a child, you are irradiated in whatever energies your particular parents are emitting. In that way, I absorbed the distilled essence of Gestapo prison from my dad long before I learned that he'd been in prison or had been German or a Jew. What I received was the pure trauma of it, the fear, the alienation, the horror of being ostracized, or much worse, just for being oneself. Plus that crazy, fierce survival energy that is born of desperation, of despair. All of which seems odd and out of place for a kid raised in the comfort and safety of Fairfield County, Connecticut. I've never experienced anything like what my father had experienced. Yet my whole life, I feel as if I had. I found this confusing. Perhaps it was a longing to heal that led me to spirituality. And heal me, it has. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians in today's reading, no testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing... He will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. That's true for me. Life is still a struggle for me, as surely it must be for you. But it makes sense now. It's easier when you know yourself, when you have a context for the difficulties, and when you know how to find the nourishment that your spirit needs. Over the years, I've learned what works for me. Worship works for me. Devotion works for me. Service works for me. In India, they call this, <clears throat> in India, they call this bhakti. I keep going back to a particular holy place in a village in India where my principal activity is washing floors for a couple of hours each day, long before dawn. Before the locals began to see me as an elder, I used to wash those floors on my hands and knees with a bucket of water and a rag. Now they call me Baba, which is like Grandpa and they respectfully insist that I use a mop, which is a lot easier. Rag or mop, it's unbelievably nourishing for me to perform that kind of pure offering day after day for a couple of weeks, year after year. 
I've also benefited from teaching meditation in prisons and volunteering as a companion to people in hospice care at the end of their lives. Here at St. Stephen's, looking to serve but with limited time, I became a lector. I always try to empty myself at the lectern, to be a pure channel for whatever meaning and energy is alive in the words I'm reading. I'd pray that all the congregants before me would be blessed. Sometimes I resonated with the readings, sometimes I found them difficult. But my offering was the same either way. It wasn't about me. It was a vacation for me. Escaping from Strat, that's what I love. A few blessed moments when I'm free, honestly trying to do nothing but delight in his will and walk in his ways. Then I took on readings of prayers of the people, which I'll be doing today. I find that even more consistently delightful because offering prayers and blessings is something I do in my private life when people aren't looking. May I be the instrument of your will and the vehicle of your grace. That's my prayer. It's a beautiful experience to have that benevolent energy flowing through you, emptying you, filling you. Most recently, I became a lay Eucharistic visitor, bringing Holy Communion to Anne and Frank Tracy at their home. This is an extraordinary privilege. I can't recommend it highly enough, and I hope that someone will take my place after we move. Delivering something of inestimable value while coming to love the people you're serving. So, St. Stephen's became a real living part of my spiritual life. I still can't imagine a heaven that doesn't accept dogs. And there are some fine points of dogma about which I still have questions. But I seem to be an actual Episcopalian, despite everything. The Trinity makes perfect sense to me now. I adore the Book of Common Prayer, the beauty and precision of its devotional language. I'm grateful to be a member of St. Stephen's, which has welcomed and enriched me. I grieve to be missing the next chapter in the evolution of this parish, which looks to be important and quite likely gorgeous. The changes we're going through now, however challenging, seem healthy and necessary. The St. Stephen's mission seems a reliable guide. Embracing and living God's commandment to love our neighbors through worship, stewardship, and service to others. So Meredith and I are moving next month, but we'll be back to visit. And we've reserved places in the crypt below for our remains. I suppose that counts as a long-term commitment. I look forward to seeing all of you again long before then. I offer my blessings to all of you, to all who enter this space, and to all who just passed by.